Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning, Monday morning. Time for your Mediated Conversation this morning. Last week it emerged that hundreds of thousands of children, maybe more, had not received the food they were supposed to get through the school nutrition program in KwaZulu-Natal. We haven't yet heard from the KwaZulu-Natal Education Department as to what went wrong, but the ANC in KZN apologised on behalf of the party. They told us last week that the problem started when the department tried to centralise the supply of food. Instead of having different suppliers for different schools, they would instead have one supplier for an entire region. At some point during the handover, the big supplier wasn't ready and thus children didn't get their food. But we also know how important this is. We remember, of course, during the lockdown and the pandemic how important this is. Over 9 million children receive food at school every day in this country. Despite that, the United Nations says around 27% of children in South Africa suffer from stunting. That's despite meals at school and despite the child support grant. So then how serious is this problem? What role do schools play in preventing it from getting worse? And what interventions do we still need to do? First this morning, Nao Siditi is the director of the National School Nutrition Program at the Department of Basic Education. Then, how well does the department do, the departments around the country, in meeting these requirements? Stacey Jacobs is a researcher at Equal Education. And then stunting and the problems around stunting and how important this is. The executive director for the Grow Great campaign is Dr. Edzani Mpapudi. We start then with Neo Siditi from the Department for Basic Education. Neo, good morning and thank you for your time. Oh, sorry, my turn to put you on. Neo, my apologies. Good morning. There you are. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And good morning, uh, Stephen, and good morning to the listeners. Firstly, you feed over 9 million children, I think, every day. How big is the program? Sorry, I didn't get the last part. How big is the program? How difficult is it to administer? Oh, yes, it is quite big, um, Stephen. I must admit that uh, within the 12,000 or rather 24,000 schools, we actually feed, uh, we implement the program in 21, uh, about 21,000 schools. And that in itself entails over 9.6 million learners on a daily basis that we serve meals to. Who manages, manages it? Is it the provincial education departments? Well, we have uh, a cooperation or interdependency here because uh, as a national department, we derive our mandate from the, you know, the Division of Revenue Act, where we are allocated a budget. Now that comes through the National Department of Education, and then we disperse the funds to provincial education departments that have a key responsibility to procure goods and services, and that includes the food items. So the National Department has a responsibility to design, you know, menus to design policy, to then guide the provincial education as to what many specifications should be, should be implemented and how the program should be implemented in provincial, uh, in, at, the, at the school level. So we both have responsibility, but at the national department, the key responsibility is for oversight and support and in designing policy and guide guidelines in order for the program to be successful. So you give them the money and you talk about oversight. Are you able to intervene? Do you have the legal power to do that? 
We do. I mean, we use our legal instrument, the national, what we call the conditional grant framework. In that conditional grant framework, that's where we specify as to what those uh, responsibilities of the provincial departments are. But I must admit that in terms of the procurement process, then we have, you know, what we call in terms of the three tiers of government, the concurrent functions where we have interdependency and the provincial department has got that responsibility to procure and to initiate the procurement process and the bidding process and all of that. But then in that in that in the in the in the in the same uh, tone we also have the responsibility to make sure that all the PFMA as well as all the regulations by Treasury are being followed. So when it comes to food, you you talked about the design of the menu. Do you get to say every child should get this during the course of the week? I mean, do you get to tell the provinces what food they should be getting? Of course. We do have the menu specification that we then, um, you know, that we obtain from the Department of Health. We work closely with the Department of Health so that we make sure that, uh, you, you know, we meet the South African-based dietary guidelines. And we make sure that the menu specifications are in the menus that are being provided during the business planning process because annually every province has got to submit a provincial business plan which is approved by the head of the department, the, the provincial treasury, and then it goes through then through the, our, our system in terms of the DG approval, and then that in itself goes to the national treasury. So we always have an addendum of the menu specifications of each and every province, and we have that consultation as well as to, to make sure that we localize even the menu specification you know, in order for us to make sure that it's it, it adapted according to the local choices. Um, when a department, so in this case it was the KZN department, decided to make a big change, do they have to get approval from you or do they have the power to just do it? They have the powers to do it. And uh, in, in that instance, then that's where we, we leave it to the provincial legislature or rather the provincial department to determine as to what is it that they need to do. So the, the, the national department at the moment has, has not, uh, you know, has not mm. played a role in terms of when, when the procurement should start, what needs to go into that. That in itself has been left to the provincial department to determine in, in, in order for, for them then to, to renew contracts or even to initiate new ones. But you could intervene, is that right? Well, we can only intervene in terms of making sure that we we see that the you know we see the document so that we can actually see if it meets mm. within the compliance requirements of the PSMA as well as the prefer- preferential procurement process. But at the moment, we cannot intervene even before the initiation is is being or rather the the procurement process okay. is being initiated. All right. Now, I understand that. Um, the yeah. price of food has been going up dramatically. I mean, maize meal is up 30% year on year. The last figure for food price inflation was 14%. So the people yeah. who supply the food, uh, is it getting harder for them to do that? They would have signed contracts around the country with different, different school regions and different schools. And now they're getting squeezed on price. 
Have you come across that problem? Yes, yes, even we have. It has been quite difficult for us, actually, even at the National Department, to make representation to National Treasury to actually adjust, you know, the the the, the rate at which we are being provided the budget. And we have done that through our, you know, internal processes where we have the the ten we call it the ten by ten, where provincial departments as well as the national departments have consultation meetings with national treasury, and that's where then we have made um, a, a proposal or rather an, an, an a request to national treasury to say that uh, you know we are being squeezed in terms of the food inflation, and therefore that adjustment was definitely done risky, you know, that um, in October, November, and we received an increase of about 1.5 billion in terms of uh, you know, mitigating the food inflation as well as uh, increasing food prices. And now, very quickly, because your line's about to die on us, um, we still have a huge problem with child stunting. You already do a huge amount. Is there any plan to increase the amount of food that you give children to try and stop stunting? I mean, I know already this is a big part of your budget. Well, at the moment, I must say that, Stephen, the program is actually not directed towards addressing stunting. I mean, we believe that stunting to be addressed needs an intersectoral uh, engagement and consultation with the Department of Health, because that in itself, we can go back as far as the first 1,000 days, as they call it, because there needs to be an inter- intervention even pre uh, conception, if I may say so, you know, the pregnancy, during pregnancy and all of that. And then throughout, then we, we still need the Department of Social Development in terms of the social care grants, the, the child care grants, and Department of uh, Basic Education, you know, when the children enter schooling. So I must say that, uh, you know, we cannot directly attribute national school nutrition program to what addressing stunting, but we can just by merely making sure that we give the learners, you know, the necessary uh, vitamins and minerals and uh, the deficiencies that are currently being being reported in terms of malnutrition. And we can do that in terms of the design that we have. And I believe that right now we have done exactly that. For example, we have increased our our iron, we have actually addressed iron deficiency by starting to initiate the chicken livers, for example, mm-hmm. in, and also to make sure that uh, you know, we have added nutrients in our menus. And we try to continuously improve our meal quality in that sense that we can be able to say that we, we are partly you know, contributing towards addressing malnutrition and, 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 and stunting in a way. But I think the experts will always tell you that, you know, stunting is something that is not easily uh, resolved mm-hmm. or rather that you can re- really turn around because it starts at conception. It starts, you know, at very early age of, of child's growth. Nice. So we really do our best in terms of the design, if I may answer your question in terms of making sure that we add as much as possible in terms, in terms of micronutrients in our means. Now, Siddiqui, thank you. Director of the National School Nutrition Program at the Department of Basic Education. Immediate conversation continues a quarter to nine the time. Stacey Jacobs is a researcher at Equal Education. Stacey, good morning.
Good morning, Stephen, and, and good morning to your listeners. We've heard from the department. Does it actually meet its requirements? Do the provincial departments do what they're supposed to do? And it's 9.6 million children. This is a massive program. Yes, yes, it, it, it absolutely is. You know, and let me start by saying that, um, you know, the provision of nutrition is inextricably linked to the fulfillment of basic education. I mean, we see where learners aren't being fed. Um, there are very obvious cognitive effects of hunger. There are physical effects of hunger and psychological effects of hunger, which ultimately, you know, affect learners' ability to engage in the classroom, engage with their schoolwork, and they also compromise their health and well-being. You know, and the DBE itself has said numerous times that where the National School Nutrition Program is implemented, it's shown to improve punctuality regular school attendance, concentration, and the general well-being of participating learners. Now, onto your question about whether provinces are doing what they're supposed to do. Recent DBE monitoring um, of the program between October and December 2022 showed that the NSNP was reaching learners in um, across all provinces. But there are exceptions and there are challenges that particular provinces may face that might um, compromise their or or which have compromised, you know, um, learners' access to to the meals that they are supposed to get through this program. So, for example, if we we look at what is happening in KwaZulu-Natal at the moment, we are seeing that there, you know, are issues or challenges faced or or, or logistical faces that are being logistical challenges that are being faced by um, the supplier or the service provider. And, you know, um, we'll wait to see what comes out of the various investigations that are being pursued um, because of this. But at the end of the day, it's the learners and the most vulnerable learners in our country who are suffering the most. Um, And and as I've mentioned, there are immense um, consequences for their um, learning. Um, Also to say that, you know, various shocks to the sector may affect um, how provinces respond to um, or or, or how various shocks affect, um, you know, the implementation of the program. And here again, I'll use the example of the floods in KwaZulu-Natal and Eastern Cape in 2022 that, you know, affected learner access to the NSNP, um, as well as, you know, COVID-19 it was a huge shock to the sector. We saw different, um, we saw the NSNP program being halted and, um, you know, eventually um, equal education and uh, Section 27, you know, we, we had taken the um, department to court and different provinces, you know, faced different challenges in rolling out the NSNP again. But just to say that, you know, I don't want to ignore, you know, the huge benefits that this program has for the over 9 million learners, but we do see that there are these challenges in between. And um, another thing that, you know, um, that has come up or scraped up even before COVID-19, you know, learners may not receive their meals at school, you know, if there is an unavailability of the necessary and needed infrastructure, non-delivery of supplies, which you're seeing in KwaZulu-Natal at the moment, delayed deliveries of the supplies. And again, we we saw that in KwaZulu-Natal. I know that learners were able to access some food last week, but, you know, there was also um, questions arose about the quality of that food and whether it was expired. I know some in in the media we saw that, um, you know, uh, 
and uh, allegedly some of the food was mm. um, was rotten, yeah, or rotting. Okay, and Stacey, can I ask, are there certain places that seem to have problems more often than others? I'm talking about structural problems now. So the same problem occurs again and again. And I know, for example, you know, food in the Eastern Cape is probably going to be harder than in the Western Cape. And you could probably even track mm. the schools that have um, uh, pit toilets and probably see that because of where they are, where they are also makes it harder to feed children there. Yes, absolutely. I mean, being able to feed a learner also comes with the need or requirement of adequate infrastructure. So here where, um, you know, we are likely to see that, um, you know, different provinces or different schools, even within provinces, may struggle with, um, may, may encounter more challenges than others. Um, and I suppose that, you know, with, air, with um, schools that are in far-flung areas, you know, where there are repeated, um, you, you know, where, where there's inclement weather that may disrupt delivery of food or delays of food, that might be, um, you know, that might be one factor that we've seen, you know, particularly affect our rural provinces. And if we're also thinking of infrastructure, it's our rural provinces that are struggling the most. And then another structural issue that we may be able to look at is the training of all the officials at the school level who are responsible to deliver the um, to deliver the NSNP. Um, you know, uh, school principals are responsible for managing the NSNP at the school level. And... Um, you know, this includes things like budgeting and managing the allocated funds or, um, you know, making sure that transporting and storing of food is taking place. Um, so there needs to be adequate um, allowance or, you know, they need to be able to be trained to, to ensure that, that they are able to carry out this role. Stacey Jacobs, thank you. Researcher at Equal Education. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue your mediated conversation around children, food and schools. Dr. Edzani Mpapuri is the Executive Director of the Grow Great Campaign. Dr. Mpapuri, good morning. Good morning to you, Stephen, and to the listeners. The United Nations says 27% of our children are still stunted, and that that figure, I think, has remained almost unchanged for the last 30 years. And there's surely now a lot more help for children and parents than there was. Why is that percentage still so high? Um, you know, so the, the, the United Nations have used that figure from South Africa from the 2016 South African Demograph- Demographic and Health Survey, um, which is where that figure was derived from. A- a- and, and I think it's telling for the country to say the last time we measured stunting at a country level was in 20, 2016. Um, so you know, if, if we as a country cared about stunting, surely we, we should be measuring and tracking stunting more closely, more frequently. Uh, the same way that we measure, um, monitor other issues like HIV prevalence. So I'm a, that that figure from 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 the the surveys that we've been doing as um, grow great seems like it's it's going down. We've run seven community surveys in seven districts across seven provinces in 2022, and, and some of the results look very positive. For example, we found stunting at um, five years in Mopani district in Limpopo to be at at, at 13 percent um, in 2022, a significant drop compared to the 2022. Um, the, the 2016 reported 22% prevalence at provincial um, level. So 
we, we can say that there, there, there is some reduction that we're noticing. Also, the, the, we've also partnered with the Western Cape and done a, a, a survey at, at, at provincial level because, you know, reducing stunting um, prevalence is, is one of the six main outcomes for the Western Cape Department of Health. And there we've also found that their levels have dropped though less significantly than in Mopani from 22% reported in the 2016 demographic survey to 17.5%. So I think, and and, and, and the one other um, um, finding from the Thrive by Five has shown that stunting in, in children at least who are going to ECD centers is declining. So I think we, we, we sort of understand that going to ECD centers, going to schools is protective of stunting, but the levels of stunting continue to 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 remain um, unacceptably high. We cannot we cannot be still reporting um, 27%, and 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 it's 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 really because children are not getting enough food in the country, uh, the, and 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 especially in the first 1,000 days, which is the most critical. Um, stage of development the same way that you know when we're building the a house you do everything you can to ensure that the foundation is is strong and 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 you focus the your most attention on that mm-hmm. and i think that is where as a country we're going wrong putting food at schools in schools and and having feeding schemes um is really good but if the child who's already coming into the ect center or to school was already stunted there's little much you can you can do to reverse to reverse that, which is why we need to think more around what can we do to strengthen nutrition in the first one thousand days of life. Um, are there? The, I mean, other countries have had this problem, right? I mean, stunting's mm-hmm. been seen in many places, and in fact, sometimes in, in quite surprising places. Are there particular interventions that work that we can follow? And you talk about the first thousand days. That's quite a difficult time to intervene. Um, thanks, Stephen. Yes, other countries have had success. So Thailand was able to drop their levels from 25% in um, 1987 to 10% in 2016. And, and Peru was also able to cut their stunting levels from 28% in, 20, in 2008 to 13% in, in 2016. And, 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 and Peru is, is a particularly interesting case because they achieved this because stunting became a political issue that the different political parties in the country campaigned around. So the, the political parties in Peru understood that if their children are stunted, they will never reach the full potential and their economy could never grow well. So they understood that stunting is a test that sort of tells you if if you care as a country about your economic growth. So if if stunting levels um, were high in their country, then, then for them it showed them that they were not serious enough about economic uh, economic growth and i think that is something that as as south africa we need to just start to have that com- political commitment behind stunting because if we not if if we if we if we if we if we're not uh, tracking stunting if we're not at a political level having the political will to reduce stunting then we we we, we can do all the other um, interventions at community level at local level but they will never be at enough scale to actually reduce the this figure for the country so in the immediate term um you know stunted children have poor immune system which means they will be sick more frequently requiring their parents to be away from work more frequently and and, and obviously that has economic costs and the cost of education system the cost the, the education system a lot because they they have poor they, they have learning difficulties 
and and in the long term it means that you have a huge part of the population that is unproductive because they were stunted as children and their the, the brains have never developed enough for them to have the great ideas that 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 push the country forward and and, and develop the country economically so i think that for me is is the biggest solution that we need to have to have that political will and the political commitment to reduce stunting Dr. Edzanian Papuri, thank you, Executive Director for the Grow Great campaign. My thanks also today to Stacey Jacobs, researcher at Equal Education, and Neo Zaditi, starting us off, Director for the National School Nutrition Program, the Department of Basic Education. We, of course, will be back with you <clears throat> tomorrow uh, from uh, Mpo, from Stanza, from Banyana, from Mdu, from myself. Look after yourself. Have a good Monday. You with SFM leading the conversation, 9 o'clock.